Kiora and welcome to the Machinist Therapy Hotline episode 29. This is our guest episode, so we'll introduce Jake in a minute. But first of all, I need to make sure that we have the dream team available. Tony Klauser. I'm here and ready for action. Albert Rogzinski. Just another day to be sad. <laughs> Shane Paul. <laughs> I just burnt my tongue on a hot dog. <laughs> and me, Jody Tuckwell, holding a hot dog. <laughs> so, anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Here we are, gentlemen. It's episode 29, and this week we have our guest host on. I'm going to fail in saying his last name like I seem to do with every other guest that we have on because <laughs> there's not enough vowels in his name. So we'll, <laughs> we'll try it anyway. So here we are, Jake Croatia. <laughs> it's uh, Croatia. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been called work. So, Jake, <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming and joining us at the Machinist Therapy yeah, Hotline yeah. this week. We really appreciate it. Okay, Tony, you're first. I want to start out real basic. Um, actually, before I ask Jake a question, um, I've been on IG I think since 2013, and then stumbled across his page in 2014, I believe, and just saw some of the stuff that he was doing and. Um, a lot of cool cars and, and projects, and I think when I started following him, the guy seemed like he was always up at late at night in the wee hours in the dark doing stuff, and it was really interesting, and I was always looking forward to see what he was going to post next and, and pictures and stuff, and then the longer I followed and, and uh, seeing him, you know, motorcycles in the picture and other things and metal shaping and welding and whatever, and then... There was always seems to be a hot chick around one way or the other. And to him, there were just friends or this, that, and the other. So, you know, it was really interesting. So I, I started following him, and I've been following him since then. So anyway, uh, I really enjoy your content, Jake, and it's, it's what, cool to see his, what you're going to post. What's his Instagram name? The Flying Dutchman Co. The Flying Dutchman Company. Yeah. CEO. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank so. you, Tony. Yeah. That's right. So, Mark, my question it's is... It's interesting for myself, but sometimes it's interesting for other people, too. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, uh, simple question. I have no idea. Where, What state were you born and what year were you born? I was born in 84. Uh, I was born in uh, California in Riverside, and then later in life moved to North County, San Diego area. How long have so, you been in San Diego? Uh, since what, 99, I think. Yeah. So 21 years. Nice. It's beautiful down there. It's we're, <laughs> we have the, uh, we have the task <clears throat> of telling everyone how much their weather sucks. Yeah. That's our exactly. San Diego resident. So yeah, yeah we're really, I've like, been down there a few times. I love the area of like La Jolla and then okay. the beaches yeah. down in San Diego, Coronado and all that stuff. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I did right. live at well, in Lucadia for a little while, but um, mm -hmm. Marcos is a little more my speed. So, Jake, what what is it that you actually do? Like, what do you call yourself? That is that is the hardest question because it's changing all the time. 
Um, I've been an auto restorer. I've been a metal shaping craftsman. I've been a, you know, I'm a welder. I'm a hack machinist. Um, I do a little bit of everything to get the job done. Um, I have to invent tools to do certain process with metal shaping. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've taken a fancy to a prototype engineer as of late. So I'm the guy that just figures it out. So you're Jake, the prototype engineer. Okay, right. I've got that written down now. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of, I mean, that's, that's quite a broad spectrum of what yeah. uh, you're yeah, doing. I, I mean, I got, I got my start in auto restoration. Um, I took a metal shaping class from uh, a guy named Gene Winfield uh, in like 2004. And I wound up working in a Bugatti restoration shop building pre-war, like 1930s uh, French cars to go to like Pebble Beach and the Concourse d'Elegance you know, show circuit type thing. Um, wow. So yeah. building stuff from pictures uh, and trying to fool everyone <laughs> into thinking, oh, this car is how it was in 1939, you know? Right, right. We just made, recreated. You that's, know, that's, that's pretty cool. There, there was this, um, there's this company in Christchurch, or there was this company in Christchurch that they had all of the patterns for... All of the old old spoked wheels for like Bugattis and Ferraris okay. and and all this and um and these guys used to you know they they were selling these like one wheel was like twenty thousand dollars and they were <laughs> shipping them all around the world it was amazing yeah it's pretty staggering what goes into making something exactly how it was you know almost a hundred years ago yeah with technology. When, when you guys did that and you completed it, did you get to go to the show or wherever it was going to be presented and people checked yeah, it out? Yeah, I, I actually was lucky enough to be a part of that. And, you know, they always needed a, an errand boy, you know, to wipe down the car or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I go from, yeah, but it still had to be pretty cool to see people just doing all over shit you've been working oh, on. Oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, I didn't fit in the car, but I mean, I got to say I drove a supercharged Bugatti Roadster, you know? It was only for a, a mile point two, but I still did it, you know? It was, yeah. It was <laughs> I hope you got a lot of self, selfies when you did that. <laughs> you know, that was back in like 2006, 2007. <clears throat> so that was before I was into social media. So I've got one good picture of that. <laughs> Even have hair in the picture. <laughs> uh, damn you, know? you, you you've jumped to bloody question 10 on my list when did you lose all your hair <laughs> uh when i was i mean it started going when i was 26 um i guess uh being a little too you know pent up you're just working long hours in the shop too much testosterone aggravation frustration all that kind of stuff trying to you know elevate my craft and eating like crap all the time so but uh, but yeah, I decided to cut my losses and totally shave my head just a couple of years ago. I said, why why manage the decline? Let, let's go there, you know. That's what <laughs> I, I, mean. I love just it. I love just it. own it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And luckily, I have a decently shaped head because you know if you had a cling <laughs> on, you know, like, yeah, it's a 
it, so oh, what about? Shit, I mean, the back of your, so your back of your head isn't like a wrinkly head. It's quite a straight looking. No, head. I'm I'm really fortunate, you know. Perfect. No Bondo's gonna fix that. <laughs> I like it. That's the ultimate preventative maintenance. Just get rid of yeah. it. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> the the whole metal shaped thing kind of got me interested. Me it too. Sounds like you've kind of been pretty exposed to like a bunch of different like metal crafting disciplines. I guess you could say. Um, yeah what what's like your what's your favorite thing to do with metal i think the 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 problem i have with auto restoration is you're you're either fixing something or recreating something you're not creating something so my favorite thing to do is to create my own sheet metal designs you know whether it's on a bike or you know right now i'm i'm in stage one of prototype one for this uh I've got a Unimog aluminum hardtop that I'm producing, like as a product. I want it as a product someday, um, and I'm figuring out all the things you shouldn't do to um, to create this thing. And um, yeah, I guess the the ideas that come out of my own mind are, are my most favorite things to pursue. <clears throat> Not copying or you know the whole auto restoration thing is like the best you could ever be is a ghost, you know be invisible like no one could tell you were there it looked like it's the guy in the the pin and farina factory in italy in the 60s you know right. like so it's like you did so well you don't get any thanks because you know it's like oh this is a ferrari it was made by pin and farina yeah. and they don't about the restoration company you know yeah God, i've never heard someone say it like that that's a very that's pretty very pretty neat valid huh? point. Yeah, yeah it is yeah gigantic restoration industry and they're all flipping talented mm. uh but those guys don't get enough credit you know yeah it's like almost like if you do your job correctly no one knows that you did it at all i guess oh you yeah say. kind of like a machinist <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah if it's a perfect hey. part no one thinks about it Albert to elaborate a little bit when he's talking about his own creation and metal shaping and shit. One of the things that popped up in my mind here was he was building some type of seat at one point or the other. It might have been for the Toyota. I don't know. But I saw the picture and I said, where the hell did you get that? And he goes, I made it. I go, you're fucking kidding me. And I started looking at it. And the amount of work that was in that seat was, you know, in my opinion, insane. There's a lot looked like there was a lot of hours there. But kind of, yeah, when you say you like to create your own shit, that picture of you on the hood of that Toyota getting ready to oh. break that fucking windshield out and what you did with that thing, I, oh. I, where did, I don't even know where this shit comes from. I mean, I know you shared some sketches with me on what the grill was going to look like. And that was the first thing you put on it was the grill and was nothing else of the truck. Right, <laughs> the right. Seat, the motor and the grill. And then yeah. you start welding shit onto it. And then here come the doors and, and see the videos you driving that fucking thing down the road. I can't imagine what people think when they see you coming down the road in this shit. I never got pulled over in that thing. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, it, it started out as just a little two-wheel drive Toyota pickup. You know, <clears> like, uh, what was that? A Tacoma. So it was like yeah. 98. I think first gen Tacoma and um, it was in a rollover. That's I got it in trade for a bumper. I made one of my best friends like here, here's a $2,000 truck. Make me this bumper for my other truck. I'm like, all right, that sounds like a good trade. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was crunched up and you know, no one's going to have any respect for a, um, 
you know, messed up vehicle and certainly not me when I could, you know, cut all the sheet metal off of it and put my own sheet metal on it. And that's what I started to do. And I saw how good it was going and, you know, came up with a better plan. So I'm collecting parts for that slowly. I, I put some 37 inch tall Toyos on it and, um, I made a hammer form for the grill. I, I CNC, uh, oh, I personally didn't, but I designed in CAD on uh, Fusion 360. I designed this hammer form. And then uh, I have a process. Um, it's kind of like flow forming, but with a table on the Pullmax. And um, basically you, you... I just looked cut. at that video. That's super cool. I, yeah. So That's super I, cool. Was, you, you get to play with all the fun stuff. Uh, that's only because, I mean, <laughs> I don't get out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, it's a super cool technique. You, you create a 2d simple profile, the thickness of the step you want to create. And that's how I did the seats, um, mm. trace the outline. So instead of bead rolling all that, um, right. you're going to end up with some wiggly haggard mess because no one's a machine. You know what I mean? You can you can try as much as you'd like, but it's not going to be perfect. Um, so I integrated machined parts to help me bridge that gap. And uh, yeah, I pushed it around in the Pullmax, and basically where there's a hole in that that uh, that piece, that template, um, I use the Pullmax to push down the thickness of the material of the template, and so it creates a step. And I just follow that edge all the way around that opening, and I you know. When I water jet it, I design the shapes and I augment them. And for like that, that bomber seat, it's got an X and it's got some ribs and it's got some different beads and things. And um, yeah, I just played around in CAD until I was happy and went after it. it did, pretty you, cool. uh, did you did you follow or do you follow uh, Jamie Jordan at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's got his own style. Yeah, because he does he does similar seats like that too, but like bead rolled or all with his like bead roll or whatever. But I mean, Everything I think it's cool, a lot cooler than what you're doing it. Well, my my focus, my direction with this is to create something that's repeatable. You know, yeah, Jamie can you know make a seat that he knows will sell well and just do it by hand over and over and over again. Um, this process that I've been playing with. Um, and figuring out is like a bridge to sheet metal stamping. Um, and it's something that I can repeat and it's always going to be the same, you know, cause it has mm-hmm. that hard template holding the metal, um, yep. and, and guiding the tool. What made you first get into metal shaping? Cause it's kind of a, uh, a niche thing. I, my first car was, uh, a <coughs> for, for those in, you know, California, Mexico, They'll take like, uh, it's really, it started here in like San Diego area. Um, and so they take a, a VW bug. So like a sixties bug and they'll put fiberglass fenders on it. They'll jack it up. Um, a lot of people are doing this now and they're calling them safari cars, but oh, wow. that, like a, a Baja bug. Like, so if you, that's a really big thing right now. <laughs> safari 911s. Like they're taking these 911s and putting off-road suspension on them. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few I of those. Those are cool. Camaro the other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I got exposed to desert racing through friends in high school. They they had dune buggies and Baja bugs and that kind of stuff. You know, mainly recreational desert 
toys. And um, so, yeah, I set out and I built this thing up and uh, I ended up rolling it. <laughs> I was uh, showing off for some friends and uh, I rolled the damn thing. And then uh, that was my senior year, uh, like February, I think. And then by early June, I had a new body put on it. And um, I got hit by a drunk driver two weeks later. So I just wasn't meant to enjoy the car I built. No um, way. But yeah, I, I poured, I basically, you know, gave up Eagle Scout rank. You know, I was in Boy Scouts with backpacking and adventuring and stuff. That was pretty cool. But I gave up that to build this car because I just felt way stronger about creating that, that thing. And um, I wanted to be like a WRC rally driver when I grew up, you know. So that was my, my way there, you know. But, um, but yeah, I got hit by a drunk driver, wadded the car up again. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this if it's just going to get wasted every time. First time was my fault. Uh, second time, uh, some lady's fault. But, um, but yeah, so I got a 55 Chevy pickup after that, and I lowered it. And um, I wanted to chop the top. And that was my first, like jump into metal shaping and that's when i took that metal shaping class um and then i learned all about you know i think i got a box of magazines at the time like sports car international and they had coach built cars so like from zagato and and, you know like touring and and all these different you know coach building houses and then uh, i worked at a really cool dune buggy shop um doing sheet metal work but that was more like flat panels and dashboards and, you know, which was perfect grooming. You know, it was all simple stuff, but that's what I needed to do at that time. I was learning how to TIG weld. And, um, and then I got introduced to the auto restoration world. Like that, the place was like two blocks away from where I was currently working. Um, and then I eventually started working there. And yeah, I had like a six-year apprenticeship with my manager, my boss. A mentor and that's how i got that's how i got started in metal shaping wow so nice. it's been a pretty pretty intense uh study of it you know it was like 60 hours a week for the first five six years way more experience than than my age bracket you know what i mean no i remember being in in high school and seeing a motorcycle mania i think okay. everyone probably saw that mm-hmm. and when I when I watched you know Jesse James just take this flat piece of metal and he just started beating on it on oh, yeah. you know with a hammer on a sandbag and I'm like what the hell is this guy doing you know and then all of a sudden he's got a gas tank you yeah. know and I'm like what the fuck that's the coolest thing that was one of the only reality TV shows I ever stopped to watch was Jesse James stuff yeah oh yeah well it's that garage. was where I first saw a CNC machine was on uh, American Hot Rod on the oh, Boddington yeah. show. Okay. He had this guy and, and they were they would CNC parts and I was like I think I was like 14 and mm-hmm. I was like that's so fucking cool that's the like that's what I want to do you know Yeah Still that, dreaming Boomeray like, still dreaming Yeah still dreaming maybe <laughs> one day One day they'll send me to Mazak school <laughs> You know what though the kids that watch that that shows and then they come into a shop or they actually meet somebody that says oh you run CNCs and the first thing they say is can you make me some rims? <laughs> yeah, we can make you some rims. But dude, the, the, the hunk of aluminum billet that you're going to buy for one, and you could probably buy yeah. two of the rims from somewhere else. Like they, 
They just right. don't get it, but the shows make, you know, it looks so easy. You just type the numbers in the computer and the machine spits it out and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Well, I've been seeing um, on your page. Now, are you, have, are you teaching welding classes? I am. Yeah, I started doing that uh, early last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a nice little Saturday morning slash afternoon kind of a thing. Um, I run a big <clears throat> class. And I just teach people the basics. I bring them up from nothing if they have no experience. And um, it, it's for people that can, you know, spend a hundred bucks on the class and get a concentrated amount of information in five hours. You know, if it, I learned how to TIG weld at community college at night mm-hmm. uh, after work. Um, Same here. Yeah, I did that for like two or three semesters. And um, but it, this is for the people that don't have that kind of time you know what i mean right yeah i was a kid i had no money i couldn't afford 100 bucks for a class but you know back then it was 100 bucks was different you know um oh yeah totally yeah i mean if you're really interested in welding uh 100 bucks isn't really much you know what i mean it it costs that much to fill a argon bottle (laughs) exactly Um, it's like you were uh, saying though the college class itself by the time you sign up for a real college class buy the book they make you want to buy get your own gloves and yada yada right. yada the money yeah. adds up fast i did the same thing i worked from seven in the morning till four thirty, and then went to the course was from six to ten two nights a okay. week and yeah. yeah it was a long day but that's cool so yeah. where do you find the people that want to do it i mean how are you Literally, advertising that? That's instagram that's nice. all i've, I've, I've I mean, he, yeah he's got like thirty-two thousand followers what's the farthest uh, yeah. someone has come for the class um for the for a class yeah uh, i've had people from new york uh oh. i've had people from florida um i've had a couple of people from portland oregon um one guy from uh tulsa so yeah i i get people coming from a pretty decent distance <laughs> yeah you know, nice really, it's really humbling you know what i mean like you're gonna come all that way to hang out with me for five hours and eat tacos and learn how to weld. Okay. Like, <laughs> sounds like, good. Okay. Sign us up. It, that, that sound, <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds great. I want to do yeah, it. Yeah, you had, you had me at tacos. True. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah. So I teach the welding class. It's just like a you, you come with a, a long sleeve shirt and I've got everything else covered. I've got helmets. I've got gloves. Fuck, um, and I just work sweet. through the base. Yeah, so it's like a minimal, like, Here's your first step. Like, figure out if you want to do this or not. You know, if you want to take a class, go for it. You know, if you want to jump right in and you can afford to buy a, a TIG welder, go for it. But, you know, get your bearings. And, um, yeah, I think it's helped a lot of people. And I know people have, have gone on to get welders and um, or they've just improved their skills already. And um, it's cool. It's cool to have, you know, I never wanted to be a teacher, you know. Right. But... It's like this really cool symbiotic trade. I pay all my, you know, I, I designed it as a financial mechanism. You know, I, I have six people in the class and it, it pays my basic monthly necessities. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. a cool little thing to get that out of the way. And, um, and in trade, they, you know, they get started in welding. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Sounds better than it's, a community college. Well, I mean, I literally hold their hand and, and like, I, I, uh, 
I tell okay, him. Okay, now I, I really want to come. Yeah, right. Tacos and we get to hold hands. God damn. <laughs> this is um, like way more personalized, you know. It is. It's way more personalized. It's low, low numbers. You know, I mean, there's only so many people that <clears throat> around you while you're welding and actually see what you're doing. So I limit the class to six people, and um, yeah, I just try and supercharge them with as much info as possible in that amount of time. And and when you when you do the class, do, do people come to the class with like a specific project in mind that they would like to achieve, or do you just sort of you just go right? Oh, we're going to put some angle plate on and off we go, sort of thing. What's the some like some like take home samples, some coupons, um, and I teach them on aluminum because that's one of the things they do in the normal welding class at the community college is they start you on steel and then you go to aluminum and then you do stainless. Mm. Um, I just go s- straight to aluminum because the principles are the same. So, and it's not a rusty piece of crap on your wall in your garage when you're done with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mom, my rusty piece of, you know, overheated, <laughs> um, you know, first welds. So, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, when have you, have you then seen people go on to do bigger and better things like from, from your class or is it just still quite like still quite a new concept at the moment that it's not, I mean, they're not getting welder jobs, but they're, right. you know, they're beginning to, you know, practice. And, um, I have some like, I don't know, layman's terms, you know, mental, uh, picture, like, like the way I explain it, it I break it down pretty easily, um, on, on how all the things you need to be focusing on. Yeah. So, I saw this guy on 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 uh, Instagram a wee while back, and he was welding like a he was, I think he was repairing like a fence, and uh, he, he needed to take a better look at what he was doing, and then he welded his head <laughs> in between oh, the rungs of the I've fence. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't and one of your like, students, was he? I just was a joke. <laughs> no, fortunately not. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> so looking through, I mean, the, the the I mean, when when I think restoration, I automatically always just go to like fancy cars. But I mean, your like you've just said, a lot of your followers are based around the things that you've done with motorcycles. Oh, Is it, yeah. Do you, do you have a preference between which way you would go, or like, I mean, do you do you like working on motorbikes, or is just that's cool little project, I mean, but you rather work on the big things, or it's uh i mean i love them i love bikes i love riding um that stripe bike i got it running in uh in a garage in northern california and i took it on a thousand mile first test ride um for the first outing wow Uh, i I love motorcycles i've been riding i don't know since 2007 or 8 um run from the cops on them and like (laughs) you know i've gone not cross country, but I've done some long hauls, uh, not quite a thousand miles in a day, kind of a thing. Okay, we need we need to back the truck up here. Sorry, so you okay. ran away from the cops on on your motorbike? Well, you can run from them, but you, the trick is to get away from them. <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> yeah, and it's hard to outrun a radio, also. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You need to get out of their line of sight. So as many uh, right hand turns and zigzag as as you can do, the better. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, 
I, I got, while we're on that, I got a quick story sure. and I won't try to take up too much time, but I used to commute an hour both ways from my house to my machine shop that I worked at down in Santa Rosa. And I was riding a 600 Katana that I saved all my money up as a kid and I bought it brand new in 1990. I still have it today. And it's got like 90,000 miles on it that I put on it myself. But wow. I learned my lesson, a, a couple of different things <laughs> I learned. And one was you you can't outrun them because they do have oh, sure. friends and they will radio up and set you up at the next right. overpass. But anyhow, there was one time where I had a really shitty weekend or week and it was Friday and I was going to go camping and my boss that was a real dick told me, I'm going to go to see you tomorrow on Saturday. And I go, no, we're going up to Pillsbury and we've already got the tents. And he goes, and he goes, well, I need you. And I said, well, you said Saturdays was an option. He's all, yeah, it's my option, not yours. So anyway, long story <laughs> short, I was pissed. And I got yeah. on that katana, I ran it through the gears, and I was on the freeway, and I was doing about, when the cops saw me, I was doing about 78, you know, just not very fast at all, because back then, the speed limit was 55, and there was no center medium, so he swung it across the grass, and I saw him in a movie mirror, and here he comes up on me, and I fucking pull over, and he's all, you know how fast you were going? Because I got you on the clock, and I said, yeah, about 78. He's like, well, I really appreciate you being honest with me, so I'm going to write you up for 65 so you can go to traffic school, but you need to slow your ass down. I said, okay, well, that was, I appreciate that. I was honest with him, and he kept me a break. The next time I was hauling ass, I was doing a lot faster than that, and I was by about Squaw Rock up here in Northern California going through the turns, and this guy was, once again, going the opposite way, and I said, shit, he flipped it around, took off chasing me. I darted down this gravel road thinking if I can make this turn before he comes around the curve, like you said, out of sight, I'm home free. And I had to wait for another car going the other way on the freeway. And then I dove down there and the last minute he came around the corner and saw me and I dove down to the river and he came flying down this road on the river. And I, I parked the bike and I fucker ran to a tree and I said, I can't wait. I'm about to piss my pants. And so I unzipped to pretend like I was peeing on this tree. He's all, I understand, but you need to slow your ass down. I'm giving you a warning. And then he took off and he left. And I, I by that time, I really did have to piss because I was scared. I was getting a fucking ticket hell. <laughs> but that's the only time I ever really lied my way out of it. But, uh, yeah, pretending I had to pee behind a tree, and that's why I was going so fast. It kind of worked out for me. You got lucky. I did. Yeah, the, the cops around here aren't so nice. <laughs> Well, tell us the, the drama about that bike. Where did you oh, find it in Northern California? So that that bike is the the replica of the original bike. The original bike was my dad's uh, 83 R100. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was in Vegas, it was taken from me. Um, really, that was a really aggravating time in my life. Um, I, had, I had started my business in 2012 in San Marcos. I had a shop that I was paying way too much for um, shitty fickle customers that just wouldn't pay when you invoiced them. Um, it's like, I did the work you need to pay me so I can pay the bills so we can keep going and you know, mm -hmm. your car will get done. Um, otherwise I got to take on other customers and your work doesn't get done. Um, but yeah, learn my lesson from all that. Moved to Vegas to team up with a buddy. And while I was dealing with that whole catastrophe, um, cause Vegas didn't work out for me. I ended up, uh, losing my bike, um, had to sell my car to pay the bills, ended up living in the shop. Um, you know, I, I really want to make this business thing happen. You know, how'd uh, you lose the bike? Uh, they took it. <laughs> uh, 
um, basically stolen from me. And uh, yeah, super frustrating time. Um, but in the next couple of days, a friend called me and was like, hey, I found you another one. It's an 84, but it's an R100. And uh, you just need to uh, put it together. So he had hired me to do some other sheet metal work for a bike um, for a modern BMW R9T. And so I went up to Northern California, did that, put the bike together and uh, ended up riding it all the way back from, well, I rode to Oregon and back and uh, yeah. And then I rode it back to Vegas. It was a wild time. Now, when you say they took it from you or it was stolen, you kind of leave it a little gray there. Is it like some bad guys that just stole it from you or were you playing the roulette wheel and you got way in over your head? And no, I actually alley and oh, I felt like I got beat up. I mean, when they took the stuff, <laughs> like that was at the time, it was all that was going right in my life. Uh-huh. It's like any me time was poured into that and it was my dad's bike and I had done all this crazy motor work to it. I had the... Uh, the big bore kit put on it with better H-beam rods and giant piston, like really high compression pistons. Um, I had the heads dual spark plugged. Um, right. Had the, you know, 80 grams taken off the crank to balance the rotating assembly. Um, rebuilt transmission, overdrive fifth gear, uh, bigger cam, titanium lifters, like all this shit. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just broken when uh when it was gone and i just i couldn't i ended up like <laughs> um kind of losing it and i uh i couldn't even remember the the code to open my phone and i ended up delete it my phone like self-destructed it wiped everything from the phone but yeah that i learned some hard lessons there yeah i i was sleeping on a couch in an air-conditioned office and then it was in like a body shop industrial complex and it's you know it's vegas and it's summertime so it's 116 every freaking day and uh so i'd i'd freaking pee in this jug so i wouldn't have to go outside to use the outdoor you know bathroom at the end of the the building complex and this one night the freaking jug handle snapped and the jug fell to the ground and <laughs> splashed the shit out of me and i'm like i have to fucking change my life i can't do this shit <laughs> I'm like covered in my own piss. I'm like, <laughs> every decision I've made has led me to this point. I can undo it. But man, I wanted to kill everyone and everything. And um, yeah, I'm really glad I didn't, you know, because I'd be in jail. So, so I mean, that, yeah. that, that, was, that was a pivotal point for you, like throwing it, it piss really on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Taking a bath. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, from that point on, I mean... Lead us, lead us a wee bit from where so, you got, you know, for anybody listening that's about to get into basically, you know, dropping urine over themselves, like <laughs> that, that's when you hit low. So right. the only way surely must be up. And right. like, how do you, how do you claw yourself so mentally to, out of that? Yeah, I had to figure out how to get out of there because um, I still had bills, you know, I had work in Northern California, but I didn't have work in Vegas because it was just a dead end situation. Uh, teamed up with a buddy. He was supposed to be the sales force. Uh, he'd rather play video games and wait for customers to come instead of go knock on doors. Um, meanwhile, I'm trying to, you know, it's like being in a submarine and you've only got 
so much money and so many materials and you like the whole shop is a is a living breathing functioning machine as as a you know what's the word i'm looking for like everything works together there are mm. systems that, that rely on each other and i'm yeah. trying to man this fucking shit that's going down and um yeah i had to leave the state to do some work and when i got back i had just enough to to get out of there um and at one point i called my dad and i'm like dad i hate my life please get me out of here i'll pay you back like whatever it takes i just need out of here and um yeah my parents don't have money or, or they're not fancy you know what i mean um but they have a, a garage. My dad's got like a welding truck and he does heavy equipment work. Um, so most of his work is outdoors. So he had a small garage space that I've been able to take over and improve. Um, I drywalled the whole thing and um, kind of rebuilt myself through building that space. And um, I, I ended up dropping like 60 pounds over that first year, uh, changed my diet. Just, I wanted to like rewrite my life, you know, like everything I was doing before, like, delete you know like let's do something else that's wow. not worse so yeah did, I did, 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 did that also include like people that you at the time were calling friends did you sort of delete them out of your life as well like because that too yeah yeah mm. yeah no i don't talk to basically anyone in vegas and and honestly like the, the problem with the sheet metal business is and, and this is why I'm trying to make repeatable objects, you know, like this hard top or the bumper that I've designed. Um, like, you know how long it's going to take. Everyone comes in the door and they want to know how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost them. And my problem is I'm an optimist. Like, I, I can't fuck it not be. Um, I'm always trying to find the positive. And luckily that got me out of that shit situation. But, you know, I'm always underbidding jobs. And it was like I never could make, you know, the amount of hours that I was actually spending on it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't talk to a lot of people and I've had to give up the luxury of a social. Like when I had a job, I had, you know, I was basically, you know, committed this time, this time. And then I was free and I got caught in the trap of always working and going to the point of burning out. You know what I mean? And that was yep. one of them. That was one of the mistakes I had made. It's like I didn't take time to have fun or go somewhere else and change the scenery, you know, refresh my mind kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. that was that was one of the biggest things that led to that shit moment, that that low point. But yeah, had to uh, had to say goodbye to a lot of people. Yeah, but it's good. You learn from it. Yeah, I kind of say where you're at now. I mean, I watched you put up the drywall and, and what, what it looked oh, yeah. like before you did. And then I watched, you know, you paint it and the lights and the bright and it just like kind of came to life. And then I really enjoy looking out your garage door and out oh. over that view, wherever the fuck you're at. That is a oh. beautiful place. Where are Where is that? Lucky. We're in San Marcos, California. It's okay. northern San Diego. Uh, we're in some wouldn't call them rolling foothills, but there's some pretty nice hills and uh, it's like sagebrush, um, yeah. different rock outcroppings. There's a bunch of nurseries and farms and horse ranches and stuff around. And um, we're like maybe 12 miles inland from the beach. And um, 
so we get a nice coastal breeze in the afternoon which keeps it kind of cool nice yeah so yeah, it looks beautiful we're just lucky you know yep it's uh it's pretty cool here stop the podcast hey jake yeah i uh <laughs> i hear you uh you're gonna basically have this opportunity to tell everybody what you're about and what you can do if they go to your welding class so right now i'm uh i'm offering a couple different classes uh, i've got a schedule up on my instagram page for the intro to tig welding class it's just a little uh, five hour hundred dollar intro to tig welding class and um, i teach you the basics and bring you up if you have zero welding experience that's fine um, I've taught kids even, you know, the youngest kid I taught so far was uh, 14 years old. Um, no experience whatsoever. And uh, yeah, brought them f up from, you know, the basics into actually creating a weld with filler rod. And um, yeah, it's a good time. I offer lunch with it. I also do metal shaping classes. I don't have any scheduled right now because of the current events. Everything's kind of up in the air, mm. but um, the big thing I'm working on right now is uh, product development, uh, creating bumpers and hardtops for Unimogs. And um, yeah, I offer general prototyping, metal shaping type services. Um, and that's about it. So, and where, where, so they can find this, all of this information is on your Instagram page. Is that right? Basically, it's, it's so much easier to have an Instagram than a website. Um, that's, where I put all my energy. Um, so yeah, The Flying Dutchman Co, C-O, The yep. Flying Dutchman Company is my business. And uh, you can find me on there. Just shoot me a DM. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, let's get on with the podcast. When did you start skydiving? Um, that was when I was really frustrated with my mentor boss. <laughs> And oh, I, geez. And we, and <laughs> Did you have uh, a parachute? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, we, we actually we would do things for our birthday because uh, when we left, I, I basically teamed up with him um, and left the auto restoration shop, and he got a Bugatti commission. Um, so we built this Bugatti from, like, the ground up, uh, from the chassis up, uh, like, restored the ash frame and everything. Um, but, yeah, the, we, we share a name. His name's Jake, too. And so we were, you know, it was, it was uncanny how many similarities there were. And he was like nine years older than me. So total mentor, mentor figure. And uh, one year we're like, let's go skydiving. Let's go go-karting. And so for his birthday, we went uh, skydiving. And for my birthday, we went go-karting. And, and it was awesome. And I, uh, I realized that I wanted to fulfill the the james bond fantasy and and actually learn and get certified and licensed how to skydive so i did that in like 2008 but um but yeah i got like 150 jumps which wow holy crap sound like a lot but it's not compared to like the guys who do that for a living you know they have like eight nine ten thousand twenty thousand jumps you know jesus like retired seals and stuff are taking you for a, a tandem jump you know what I mean? And my 150 jumps is like, you know, 
a lunch break for them. <laughs> you know? do, do, wow. do you have Do you have your own parachute? Do you pack it yourself? I used to. Yeah, I ended up. Uh, so I wanted to go like wingsuit base jumping. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's why I started it. Um, I saw those guys in Europe just flying through the canyons, and it was just the most surreal thing. And um, so yeah, I was going in that direction. I ended up going to Norway and going base jumping. Um, there's a YouTube video of that. And um, yeah, it was a, an amazing, amazing experience. I had uh, I I employed this guy from Germany. And when he arrived, he had he had like three bags that didn't look very big to me, considering uh-huh. he'd moved to the other side of the planet. And yeah. uh, I said, "What's in the bags?" And he goes, "Oh, <laughs> I got a I got a hunting bow, uh, a, a kite surf kit, and a wingsuit." I went, "Oh my god!" Yeah. In my head, I went, "Oh my god! I've just I've just employed this guy, and he's probably going to die in the next four months of being in New Zealand." <laughs> yeah. I was just in my head. I was thinking, I, I'm I was thinking like bloody Joe Exotic. I was like, "I'm never going to financially recover from this." This is it. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's the worst rated sports for survival. You know, is it scary? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Probably what makes it fun, huh? Well, I mean, learning to tame that fear, yeah. You know, standing up to to that uh, as an adversary, you know what I mean? Like taking on that challenge and, and going through with it, even though you're you're shaking, you know? Yeah. And then eventually I, that, that wears off. It doesn't wear off. It does wear off, but it depends on how many jumps, jumps you've done, you know? But uh, but yeah, it's it it can be pretty scary. That uh, that first jump off the bridge in Idaho, where I did my first base jump course, that was intense. As with you know any new object you jump off of, everything's so you're on high alert. Situational awareness is like through the roof, and you're just trying to be as observant as possible and not fuck it up. <laughs> wow. So I mean, this I mean, you managed to. Pull yourself out of the, you know, piss-soaked basement oh, yeah. into into <laughs> yeah. the the lofty heights of San Marco, to the even loftier heights of you know jumping out of airplanes. Are you are you now constantly striving for something like another fix? Is that is that where you're at? You think or? I mean, a long uh, a lot of it. I mean, the, riding the motorcycles. I think it's as dangerous as skydiving for sure mm-hmm. uh, so many variables there's so many players in the game and it's right. always changing you know um but uh right now my main focus is to finish up what i came here to, to do at my folks place you know which is get back on my feet and buy a piece of property so i can build my shop what's uh, what's uh, what's the current project you like see your 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 unimog that you're working on now I mean, I looked at the photos, and it looks like it, like a like a prodigy haircut on the top of the. Oh thing. right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So stock, they come with like a a folding soft top, like a convertible top, mm-hmm. and they're just wearing out because of how old they are. You know, it's a '60s vehicle, and um, so yeah, I there's no aftermarket whatsoever for Unimogs, and I have one at my disposal. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with what I have. Um, I know the market isn't big, but it's a start towards making a repeatable amount of income from the same idea, you know, with right. the auto restoration thing. It's like, 
find a new solution for a new customer and then they go away and you ne- like I've never done the same thing twice. Like I've never had the same car come in twice over 15 years of metal shaping. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's like you're always learning and you're always buying a new tool to do the new job. So that cuts down on your profit. And um, it's just like, okay, I need something repeatable, something stable um, so that I can actually, you know, pay the bills on time. But, um, but yeah, the Unimog top is, um, it's got some stamped look sections. Um, it's raw aluminum. Uh, customers will be able to paint them or powder coat them if they want, but I'm just offering them raw. And uh, yeah, there's nothing really like that for that, that vehicle. So mm. I hope to do well. Man, there's some hot chicks standing oh, wow. next to bikes. Like, what the hell? Are you, are you yeah. just sort of like, a, are you a magnet? And they, or you've, you know, there's, there's, you've got a hidden talent that we no, I'm just, <laughs> I never get out so that when I, when I do get out, I'm all bottled up and I just go talk to any pretty girl I find. And, <laughs> you know, it's just like, either you're going to say hello and, and, you know, possibly get their number or not. You know, um, so you got to be at that level. You can't be shy. And um, yeah, as far as the, the hotness level, like, you know, you just talk to them like they're normal people. If, if you create a distance like they're above you, if you create a distance of communication, like you need to be able to communicate with them. Um, if you create that space between you, like you're alienating yourself, you know, like why would they want to talk to you? Just talk to them like you would talk to a friend, you know, be informal, you know, say what you want to say. And, uh, you know, like, so they, they're not interested or they say no or whatever. Like now, you know, you have more information, you know, and you're not just like standing back as a wallflower, like wondering, you know, what would happen, you know? So I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Confidence is definitely key, and like you said, if you walk up and teach them like a normal person, and they yeah. interact with you and reply back, then you've got something. But if they look down their nose at you and they're stuck up, then you're like, "This is going nowhere, and it's time to move on." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can always dismiss yourself from the conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I've been following you a while, and I went back and looked, and I, for some reason. Oh, there's probably a reason, but the pictures of the little... <laughs> I know what the reason's going to be. Uh, there's, there's a, I mean, the little redhead that you used to have on yeah. your page, she's not there anymore. And I remember watching her ride four-wheelers up and down hills and doing shit with you. And, and she actually rode the, the a, a two-wheeler motorcycle pretty well, too, didn't she? So she had ridden quads and stuff, but I taught her how to ride a motorcycle. Yeah, I saw her on that, and she looked pretty okay. good on it, too. Um. Yeah, that was another thing where I just like, I actually, <laughs> I cornered her in a parking lot. Like I kind of parked her in and uh, I just walked over. I got out of my car and I walked over to her in her car and I waved and I was smiling and yeah, I just asked her for her number. Um, well, I asked her to dinner, honestly, and she said no. And I said, well, give me your number and we'll talk about dinner. And then she said, yes. So that's uh that's how that started wow that was years ago now that was like i, I have the opposite problem i i have to say no you know because there's so many so <laughs> many beautiful <laughs> women approach me you know and i say look i'm really sorry but you know i'm just too much to handle for you so you're gonna have to go on your merry way find someone I, else I, 
I really hope we're going to edit this part out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand to hear it again on the podcast. Yeah, I, I got that problem too, though. I know what you're talking about, Jody. Is this yeah. before or after the mustache, Jody? <laughs> oh, man. The tash is, is it is created it has created an extra level of masculinity in me that I That's never knew existed. Yeah. yeah. Now you know, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like the other day I was like, okay, I I've got to go up to my car. I got up to my car and I went, I could I could just open the window, but instead I just jumped through it. <laughs> I went, I've got a mustache now. I can do anything. <laughs> you went Luke Duke on that bitch. I did. I jumped over the bonnet and then got into the went through the window. The yeah. fucking bonnet. <laughs> In the you gay over a bonnet. Jesus Christ. You slide across the hood, bro. You don't jump over the bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, yeah. so one other project that I see is is sort of semi dominant on your um on your page is the half eleven. Yeah. Tell yeah, us about that, because there's, I mean, I, I already assume that as soon as you start to tell us that there'll be potentially some Porsche purists out there, they're going to hate your guts for it. But let's let's hear oh, it anyway. Yeah, yeah no, the, the half 11 is the nickname for uh, a Porsche type 455.5 C. And um, it was a, like a secret Porsche that they only ran for like a year, like 68, 69 and um, then it was hidden away. So these guys are recreating that car, um, and it's it's like it looks like the front half of a 911 Porsche, and then the back half is just all race car. It's just like pure Can-Am tubes and headers and big tires, um, giant fender flares up front. Um, so it's going to be bare metal, polished aluminum. Um, they want to go to the hilt with the quality, which I'm really excited about. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's actually scheduled to come here in the next three weeks. So we'll get to go hard on it again. Um, we did some roughing out of the bodywork, of the aluminum and actually, so I teach the welding classes, but I also teach the metal shaping classes for fun, you know? So I taught the owners, their pair of twin brothers. Um, they came and took a metal shaping class and we just started the project on that. And then we continued, you know, as a, as a normal uh, job but um but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty wild and uh they're hoping to create enough demand to where they'll start producing them and so that'll be another product type repeatable thing that i can make wow so. that's cool I, I was gonna ask if um if that was like the f if this is the first one you know like but uh obviously you don't answer that the photos you know. look great the, the the design concept for it looks just so they're they're auto designers, you know, so they're, they're twin brothers, uh, Nikita and Ilya, and um, they've worked for Honda and GM, and now they're working for uh, GAC, which is a Chinese company, actually. Um, but yeah, it's pretty wild what they're, what they're able to do. What's the story on this CRX Honda? Where the hell did oh, that God. come from? So that, that comes from my total lack of respect for shitty vehicles. Um, I, I tore apart that Toyota and um, started making it some abstract concept vehicle. Um, and then I realized I needed like a daily because this thing was getting weirder and weirder and it didn't have a roof. 
And, you know, it does rain occasionally in San Diego. So I bought this 87 Honda CRX and uh, drove it around and started, you know, cutting parts off of it like I do, making it lighter. Because it's already super light, so why not enhance its best characteristic? And then I got the funny idea after hanging out with the twins, the auto designer twins. I'm like, man, I should make this thing into like an 80s concept car. So in switching the, the two-wheel drive Toyota to four-wheel drive, uh, it changed the lug pattern. So all of a sudden I have these giant badass wheels. Like what better to put them on than the, the little tiny micro CRX? So the tiny little, you know, 80s economy car with 17-inch wheels and 14-inch rotors and giant Cadillac Brembo uh, calipers, four-piston calipers. Yeah, that's kind of the the back burner project right now. Now, is that the car you take to Winco for supplies? I do. I do. I do the Winco. (laughs) Yeah. Do people ask you what the hell is going on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually – so – our town used to have like Fast and the Furious night and all the high school yeah. and college kids would bring their import cars to a certain spot. And then the cops chased them out of town. Basically they shut it down because people were killing themselves and, you know, crazy amount of street racing in San Diego. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's been like a resurgence. And so the parking lot next to the Winco will fill up like on a Friday night. And, uh, yeah, so I'll just cruise through there in the Unimog or the or the CRX, and everyone <laughs> will like stare at it, like what the hell is going on, kind of a thing. Before we come on, you sort of sent us a little a little list, which I basically said I'd threw in the bin, but we didn't really, obviously. The um, sure. uh, on there you said you mentioned the hashtag seventy five hard. Okay. Yeah. That's, so we, I mean, I've seen a few people that are following that philosophy if if i if that is what it is well it's like uh it's like a challenge and more than a more than a fitness thing is a mental fortitude challenge and i'm you know all about that um so it's there's five moving parts to it you know you got to drink a gallon of water a day you got to take a progress picture every day you got to stick to a diet uh whatever it is you choose you just have to stick to it you can't like all of these little challenge things, all the five points, like you cannot deviate. You can't fail. Otherwise, you start over. And it's a 75-day challenge. And there's like less than 1% of the people who start it actually finish it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you work out twice a day. One of the workouts has to be outside, 45 minutes a piece. And uh, read 10 pages of an entrepreneurial or personal growth type book. And I'm like, I want to be doing all those things anyway. Um, so I'm like, hell, why don't I give it a shot? So I tried it last year, failed at like day 32 today. I'm at, I, I, I fell asleep reading. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to read first. So I get up in the morning, I have my coffee and I read now. Um, so I get that out of the way first and, uh, yeah, so I'm on day 40 of 75 right now. So I've already, I, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys want to keep the, the episode evergreen or whatever they call it, but in the beginning of the whole quarantine lockdown thing, like I started eating everything, you know, <laughs> like not just tacos, but like cookies and making brownies and like doing all sorts of stuff and gained, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 pounds or so. So I've gotten that all off and, you know, we're going a little bit further. 
Awesome. We, 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 there's a, there's a guy that we sort of follow, um, called gyro, but he's, yeah, he's a machinist in Florida and he's the one that beats the tires with the sledgehammer outside. And right. yeah. he's, al- he's always running and sweating and throwing his clothes down on the sidewalk and showing <laughs> all the sweat. He's intense, man. I, the guy just yeah. goes for it. He right. does. So his is 75 underscore machinist. And, okay. uh, and during the lockdown period, I, I said to myself, oh, I was going to do, 10 press-ups a day which i started boring everyone with by putting them on my story but he was full noise on it you know and then he was doing press-ups in the machine and doing freaking sit-ups on a moving vehicle it was just it was just like what the hell i can't keep up with this i should just not do press-ups anymore yeah but he he, he reads that book and then yeah. he highlights it you know the stuff that he's yeah. focused on that day or whatever and it's it looks like it's pretty intense not only physically but mentally too right yeah and it, it's going to sort out your, your time management skills. You know what I mean? Like in order to do, like if you're running a business, if you have a machine shop or whatnot, like you have all these responsibilities already and then you get to add those things to it. It's, it's demanding. So you can, uh, it, the reason it's a mental fortitude challenge is, is you probably going to convince yourself you can't do it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I found myself going towards that. And then it's just like, you got to cut it off. And just go do the stuff. Don't now, don't give it a chance. Where did you get the book? Is it something that's readily easily to? Oh, no. Where he, might, he might have a, a book that Andy Frazella's published, but that's the dude, Andy Frazella. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so where are you reading it? I I'm not reading anything that's prescribed. Like you have to read ten pages of of a uh, entrepreneurial or personal type group book you know what i mean oh okay, okay specific okay. reading like you can pick whatever you want I like see. i read art of war last time um and then next book i want to get is david goggins uh can't hurt me so he's yeah. a badass like one of the biggest things that i remember about him is like what is your excuse going to be today like what are you going to pin it on so that you can quit you know what are you going to tell yourself so that you don't actually achieve your goals, you know. What's yeah. your excuse today? I remember his because I, I saw his uh, his like Instagram page thing as well, where he's he's just basically running with like an oh, eight pack. He, 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 like he, yeah. He's running he's running with like an eight pack and going, "What's your fucking excuse today, man?" I can, <laughs> you know, it's just, and I'm thinking, well you're a pretty good excuse for me to not do it because you look like you're super, super fit. <laughs> but you're yeah, right. But you know, he, like he was on the verge of having heart attacks and stuff. And, you know, now he's, now he really looks like a Navy SEAL, you know? Yeah. And cause he's, um, there was him and then there was, uh, I see he was doing some running stuff with, what's that guy's name? Cameron Hayes, the, the bow hunting dude. Okay. Anyhow, anyway, so gyro, he often, um, you know, he often posts uh, snippets from Andy Frazella's, like, either podcast or whatever. Yeah. And I've uh-huh. often thought, okay, there's, you know, what? well, one, I, you, you see more and more people that seem to be joining into this this mental challenge. Because, like you said, that's what it is, isn't it? It's a mental challenge. Not, not, not oh, a yeah. physical challenge, but a mental challenge. And um, I, I, that, that, I like the sound of it. It, it sounds interesting. I would I mean, People that have realized they've gotten soft, you know, they're, they're not doing what they want to do with their lives. Like, it's a great way to, like, 
you know, build some discipline. And mm. like when I was in that shitty time in my life, I had no discipline, you know? Um, and it, it, it can start with whatever you choose, but I started with food. I went on like the keto diet and, um, yeah, I ended up losing like 60 pounds. Wow. So, yeah. Is that when you started weaving I, bacon? That's, that's exactly when I started weaving baking, bacon. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my favorite. I, I, at one point I wanted to be a, like an executive chef in high school. Like everyone was choosing degrees and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And, uh, I took a foods class. And I'm like, okay, I can get down with, I can get down with this. But, um, but yeah, I started weaving bacon. So I post a picture of that every once in a while. <laughs> Did you how come much, up with that on how your much, own? How much bacon do you weave? I mean, a whole pack. What is it, like <laughs> 20 ounces or whatever? So it's over a pound. But um, I saw I saw this show or this YouTube channel, Epic Meal Time. Mm-hmm. It, it's like they did this bacon weave, and they, they put a bird and a bird and a bird and a pig. And this was like years ago. And they're like college guys, and they're just, you know, goofing off. But I thought, oh, I always wanted to try a bacon weave. And then I did it. And I was like, I want to get better at this. And so I did it again. And I did it again. And like for the last two and a half years I've been doing this, like I've figured out how to make the perfect bacon weave. And it really is centered around the shape of the bacon. If you have the most like rectangular with parallel-sided piece of bacon, you're going to be able to weave that gap like so that it has no gaps and make it super tight. And um, it really all comes down to that because you can pick through the, the cab, like the cabinet of bacon. And like, if you were to follow me into Winco, like you'd see me like, like rummaging through the bacon section, looking for the perfect package of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it literally yeah, comes down to that. It's, yeah. it's at this point we realize you are actually insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So. But, but with that said, I'm thinking now, like if you had a big enough oven, do you reckon mm-hmm. if you got enough bacon that you could yeah. make, you could weave a oh, chair, a chair, and uh-huh. and, and then you could put that in the oven, so then when it comes out, you can sit on it backwards <laughs> and eat it. <laughs> probably, probably. I don't see why not. You'd have to make some. Uh, I'd have to make some like stainless cooling. But yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. I think that should be uh, that should be your next challenge. We yeah, no excuses. Out of bacon. <laughs> no excuses. Right, no excuses. How phenomenal would that be? Like, I think like, it'd be amazing. I could rig it up, keep it refrigerated, and then like take it to the local powder coaters, put it in their oven. You know. Ah, now you're there thinking. There you go. There you know? go. You see. That's, see you got like you you know now that you come onto the machinist therapy hotline and you've gone away with really a, a legitimate life changing satisfaction challenge on your hands now to weave a chair and put it into a powder coat <laughs> oven <laughs> yeah oh, jesus tony you always have one super special question for our guests when they come on you want me to ask him about him being in the boy scouts yeah yeah <laughs> no i was in the boy scouts too so that doesn't always mean that somebody's lurking around and, and touching on people it was a good time and i actually enjoyed it and we spent that's why i first learned how to smoke pot and drink jack daniels was in the boy scouts. gotcha 
<laughs> no, we like to ask uh, the people that we have on, uh, who's your top five people that you follow on Instagram that you enjoy looking forward to and seeing what they're doing? Um, and you won't hurt anybody's feelings. There, no, no, no. Yeah, there, there's some other metal shapers that I love to watch. Um, Tanner Boys, uh, Cowboy Danger. Uh, mm-hmm. Tanner came to me, I don't know, like five years ago. And he's like, hey, can I be an apprentice at your shop? Like, I'd really love how to learn how to metal shape. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm moving. But if you're into Porsches and you want to build this Porsche Speedster thing yourself of your own design, like go work for Rod Emery and uh, you'll probably learn all that you need and then some. And that's basically what he did. So he went off and he, he got a job. And three years later, he had enough um, skills to, to start his own body from scratch. And that's what he's done. So hmm. uh, Cowboy Danger, um, obviously, I'm smitten with Oil Stain Lab with the Half 11. Yeah. Um, it's always so cool to see, you know, because they're designers. So they design, you know, new age variations for the old car, you know. Um, but they're amazing to watch. Um, let's see. And, and because of their, like, I've learned so much about design from them, which is, which is really neat. That just the way they talk about things and explain things. When you right? talk about the wingsuit guys, do you follow the Red Bull guys at all? I used to. After a while, it becomes repetitive. It's like, like I want to play baseball, not watch baseball, you know? Obviously, you follow Tony Clauser because, I mean, who I do. doesn't? Hank. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Bring it on, Hank. Have you ever watched the Hank video? Have I? Yeah. Just on Instagram. Well, that's what I meant because a lot of people see oh, that yeah. and they, they scroll on by it or they say profound. Oh, no, I watch and, all of them. And leave really Ooh, bad me. stuff on. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> My three-year-old now knows his voice, yeah. and I'll be scrolling through, and he'll be like, you know, you'll hear, hey, and he'll be like, hey, that's Hank. Uh-huh. No that's way. Awesome. That's awesome. He's going to have to send him a belated happy birthday video. I'll, I'll, I'll tell Hank to get on that. I, I remember Perfect. there's um, this, uh, I can't remember who, what the guy's name was, but he sent, I think he sent us a video of... Uh, he was listening to the podcast in the car, and his daughter was out the back, and she went, "Amaze balls!" <laughs> it's just like the funniest thing, man. Well, Jake, we've reached the end of episode twenty-nine. Um, we'd all like to thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it was fun. We've really enjoyed hearing your story and the projects that you're doing and um, what not to do with urine. It's been, yeah. been, <laughs> been absolutely fascinating. <laughs> um, so basically, there's no excuses. Discipline yourself to get up off the couch and go outside to pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly right. you got to have that mental fortitude to just do the basic human functions. <laughs> Sorry, I that's your that's your takeaway <laughs> from this, Tony. That's right. You know what? Don't piss in that jug because that handle can break. <laughs> you bet. You better let Hank know too. I will. <laughs> Feral animal he is. 
<laughs> you don't so expect I, him to let Hank use the bathroom <laughs> there's many people that will say very odd things about Hank but we won't go there this episode <laughs> anyway so thanks again and uh, we thank everyone for listening and listening to Jake's story and we hope that you'll join all of us in two weeks time thanks everybody and see you for now Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.